All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continuing our journey across the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff, hopefully helping you do digital right. And so today, this is our, our the internet did not break when we went live. So this is fantastic because we are broadcasting to LinkedIn, talking to James Raybould from LinkedIn, and we are talking about LinkedIn Learning. So this is this is an exciting this is an exciting one. And uh, you know, for, if you're joining us live, be sure to sh like the post, share it, tag in somebody, and make sure you comment along the way. We're looking forward to having an interactive discussion as always. Um, so I am joining from the ever beautiful Waukesha, Wisconsin, as always. And uh, James, tell us tell us where you're from, and everybody who's watching, comment in. Tell us tell us where you are today. So I am in beautiful Portola Valley, California, which is about a mile behind Stanford. So if you've been to Palo Alto or Stanford or the coal Silicon Valley, that's where I am. So you can see some like hills behind me and they might be a deer back there. So uh, we're uh, we're doing OK. Sunny day. OK, so you have you, you're you're in a position where there is like animals and stuff around you. Yeah. So I have a uh, a five year old and a two year old. And the, ba the basic guidance is. You can go, go outside with us, but if you're outside by yourself, like you occasionally will see sort of a coyote or something. And so like, yeah, we, 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 okay. we like our kids. We don't want to have. Yeah. Like, yeah. Three and five coyotes. They, they might be able to fend for themselves, but probably not worth the risk. So, exactly. okay. Okay. But you so, got space. I, I've got to say, I've got, I've got a bunch of kids as I, as I was mentioning to you and we've got some property and it's great to be able to like send them out and say, have fun. Uh, we don't have coyotes though, so we don't really have to worry about that. Well, I mean, just I mean, you can see through the, there's like a, like a water table back here. It's like you, but the, the kids may be, may join. So in a second, you won't make it to see the the kids playing. Yeah. If you see the kids playing and then get eaten by a coyote, please let me know. <laughs> I, yeah. if, if you're watching, comment in immediately if a coyote drags one of the kids off. Yeah, that would be that would be very bad. Okay, <laughs> so so before we get into the LinkedIn learning conversation, right? So your question question of the week uh, is: What is a skill you've been working to develop? Right? We're all talking about development and things like that. Uh, so what's a skill you personally have been working to develop in the last year, work-related or not, doesn't matter, and and why? Sure. Uh, I would say probably the best one is in late December. I'm not quite sure why, end of decade, whatever, but I started learning Spanish. And I thought it was going to be like, oh, I'll spend like a couple of days kind of learning Spanish. You know, obviously, I live in California, lots of Spanish speakers here, and I've kind of gotten hooked. And so I now spend six hours live talking to a lady from Bolivia who lives in Turkey Okay. On, online every night at 10 p.m. Uh, and then I'm doing lots of exercises. So it's, it's actually been really fun both from a, you know, obviously self-development and et cetera, but yeah. also from a, you know, get them in the learning business. It's nice to be going like all in on something and trying to figure out what learning supports do I need and what's working and whether I want social and whether I want, you know, just kind of online learning. And so, yeah, I'm a, uh, I, by the way, I'm not good. Please don't speak to me. If you're fluent in Spanish, now is not the time. Not to yeah, me. I well, okay, yeah, don't. So my Spanish, you know, I took several years in high school, and then I, I did a lot of construction work early, you know, through college, and so I actually got pretty fluent at it. That's that's a long ways away. So I would maybe be able to throw some words at you, but that's it. But you're legit dumping into it. You're not just using like Duolingo, yeah, and picking up some stuff. You're so it's so yes, yeah, so I did. It began with Duolingo, and I got. Uh, I got very into the kind of game vacations, you know, they, they've all these leagues. And oh, so yeah. you know, the first few weeks I was like, but I still use it. But 
then I started realizing, you know, that I think the way to learn anything is to, to apply it. And so I started using, there's a product called italki, it was like I-T-A-L-K-I, like italki, okay. where essentially you go online, you say, I want to learn X language, they show you people, you connect with them, and then they, there's a whole scheduler through the system itself. And so, again, I, and I, I schedule, you know, 10 p.m. every night, Sunday through Thursday. I speak with, uh, again, a great instructor who's Bolivian and lives in Turkey. So it's amazing. Okay. Yeah, well, when you said from Turkey, I was like, I was not expecting Spanish. Somebody yeah. from Turkey's teaching you Spanish, but now that makes sense. That makes more sense. Okay. Yeah, it's really fun. All right, all right. Well, maybe next time we'll have a all Spanish episode, and you can do the whole you can do the whole thing in Spanish. I'll have to find another host. Um, I have somebody in mind who could probably do it, and then they can quiz you. Nice. So for mine, I will say mine has been you know with this with this show and things like that. I've actually really been diving in since the end of last year into digital marketing right? And understanding, you know, how do you get messages out? How do you create brand awareness? How do you do different things like that? And it's actually been, been pretty fascinating. And actually LinkedIn learning has been a good resource for me to do a lot of the research, understand some of these things like that. So are you doing anything on TikTok? I feel like, so, you know, it's not a skill, but like the, the uh, other thing, that's like, what am I now addicted to that isn't like learning stuff? I'm addicted to TikTok and so like, oh, are you like hooking up on TikTok or? I, you know, I haven't gone there yet. I actually had a conversation last week. Last week, I actually was talking, um, last week, the person I was talking to had a text messaging platform. It's called Arist, it's Michael Yaffe. And what was interesting about it um, is the fact that we talked about TikTok as kind of this whole, you know, is this the next phase and in, in what, you know, nano learning, we came up with that word too. So I personally have not dive, dove into TikTok yet. I understand the concepts of it, but for what I'm doing with things, I haven't gone, I haven't gone there yet. Well, so to, to you and anyone learning who thinks TikTok's like for teenagers, I'm like, why would I do that? Like it's as a product guy, as someone who like thinks a lot about products, that's probably the best product I've discovered in like the last several months in terms of like the speed it goes from not knowing you at all to feeding you like en endless videos where I can, you know, if I, if I'm out of control, I can spend like an easily an hour just late at night, so you know, and I, as you probably know, each, each video tends to be, you know, six to 30 seconds. So it's just like dopamine rush endlessly. It's basically, you know, whatever YouTube is or Instagram is for some of us, TikTok has become that. And so again, if any of you who are just like, think it's like a silly thing for kids, it is silly and it's, but it's like silly okay. fun. And so give them a spending time at home. I would recommend giving us right. all right. So, so the one thing I have to say, so people in the comments are, <laughs> well, I'll just address this one real quick. So people are seeing me wearing a LinkedIn shirt. Everybody thinks there's like an announcement coming from me on what I'm doing. It's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like announcing on the show now that I'm moving over to LinkedIn. It just so happens that, so I'll, I'll clarify this myth before this starts getting out there that Christopher just announced on LinkedIn that he's moving to LinkedIn. No. So the reason I'm wearing it with the show, I talk to people all the time and I, and I say, send me swag. I'm a sucker for swag, right? I love, I love swag. I love that stuff. And if you send me stuff, I'll wear it on the show just because, right? It's, it's cool. So anyway, I happened, LinkedIn took me up on it. And so I had a LinkedIn learning shirt. I'm like, I'll wear it. So no, no, I'm not, I'm not announcing <laughs> a job change today. So we're, just, we're, we're always recruiting talent's number one priority. You never know after this conversation, we can, we can chat. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, that'll be a green room conversation then. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I figured we might as well address that one. But uh, yeah, to any any other vendors, you know, send me your shirts. But um, yeah, anyway. All right. So let's let's get to it. We're eight minutes in and we haven't even really dove into LinkedIn learning yet. But I'm I'm really looking forward to having this conversation because, you know, while there's a ton of tech out there, um, there are, you know, LinkedIn learning has been around for a while in different capacities. And it is actually one of the platforms you know, with as many conversations that I have with people. It's one of the platforms that actually has a lot of misunderstandings around what it really is. So I'd love just, you know, you're, you're heading up product. I'd love your perspective just on how do you, when people say, what is LinkedIn learning? Like I even have people that still go, isn't that lynda.com? And you know, things like that. So how do you, how do you describe it to people? Uh, I like to think it's the, you know, the world's best you know, professional learning product. And I think that has, to your point, a couple pieces. It has broad-based professional skills content from lynda.com. And, you know, we are up to, I think, 16,000 courses, you know, 3,000 plus courses in a year. So then that's still the foundation. So finding instructors and finding the world's experts to help to educate learners. But I think what's changing, I think to your point, you know, Lynda.com didn't have the same social elements and the same kind of community elements. And so I think you're going to see, you know, more and more of the LinkedIn in LinkedIn learning coming together. And so again, I think, you know, I've been on doing this journey for a while. When we first launched LinkedIn learning, it was essentially Lynda.com in kind of blue and white. But then every year we add on things like Q&A and groups features and community, et cetera. And so I think as you see it more and more in the future, the foundation will still always be incredible content from the world's experts, but more and more it's how do you then take that content and layer on community and learning from each other and not only being in LinkedIn learning, but potentially being in LinkedIn.com or potentially being in Microsoft products or even products, you know, outside of our own ecosystem. Okay. Got it. Well, and I think that's one of the misperceptions that I hear is, oh, it's it's another content library. It's it's another content library that you can consider. And, you know, and the other thing I think that's a little unique, people may be more familiar with it. It's because it's on both the consumer and enterprise side. You, you can use LinkedIn Learning, whether your company officially uses it. I'm curious, when you see the breakdown of that, do you see what's the user base? Do you have a lot of users using it on the consumer grade side or are they using it primarily through work? So there's kind of, I'd maybe put it in three, three buckets. Okay. There's people using LinkedIn for free. And then during using LinkedIn for free, they discover learning and we've unlocked a bunch of different courses, especially recently given the, the current situation. Yeah. We unlocked a bunch of different learning paths around working from home and resiliency and mindfulness and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, so right now we've you know you know millions literally millions of people using LinkedIn Learning for free, and then we have when you're paying for the product, which gets you access to the, to the full you know sixteen thousand plus courses. We have consumers who go online with a credit card and they pay monthly or annually, and then you have enterprise learners. And so within within the paid wall of our product, the majority of those learners work for companies you know like GE or companies like X or government agencies or higher ed institutions, and so. We have you know tens of millions of paid users, and then we have obviously you know LinkedIn.com. I should probably know the data, but like I think we're at publicly like six hundred and seventy-eight million members. I think something like that. So you know, quite just, a few people. 
just using a LinkedIn. handful of people using it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, and this was one of the things, so I'm familiar with it. Um, like I said, I, I use it for my personal development and that's not, you know, one of the things I'm always careful of this is I'm not saying, right. I'm not advocating in one way or the other, but I do use it. I use it for that. And, you know, when it comes to those types of things, um, you know, in terms of the development behind it, I'm curious as you've seen things go on that journey, because one of the challenges I think we have with content in general is sometimes it's engagement. And so I have to imagine one of the, one of the capabilities that you can tap into is people are using it because they're using LinkedIn for other things. So how did LinkedIn learning kind of start to embed itself beyond more than just, I'm curious, just from a product journey, you said you've come a long way since lynda.com. What has that evolution looked like? Yeah, I'd say, so we, we acquired Lynda.com in the middle of 2015. So I guess like right around the five-year mark right now. And years one and two were basically just like rebuild it on LinkedIn.com stack. But like that, that just means, you know, so we can get ready to do all the things we're about to discuss. Like it was literally, like I said before, Lynda.com in blue and white. It was yeah. a search bar, a browser, and a player. There was nothing special. Now I think, you know, we have tens of millions of people every day using LinkedIn.com and they're obviously, you know, LinkedIn is nice because you know professional mindsets. You know I'm investing in my in my career, etc. And so more and more as I'm doing that, maybe I'm part of a group, and maybe it's around you know becoming a project management professional, and therefore there's now groups around learning. Or maybe I'm looking for a job, and we can say, hey, this job is about X. These courses help you prepare for that job. And so I think you know more and more learning is just integrated into LinkedIn versus being its own thing. There's still always like LinkedIn learning. If you want to go deep in learning, it's over here. It's called LinkedIn Learning. It's great. But more and more as part of just using LinkedIn every day, you will see learning popping up. Uh, and I think, as I mentioned before also, not only LinkedIn, but in you know, Microsoft services, you know, maybe in GitHub, which is also owned by Microsoft over time. And so I think you know, we, we want to be where people are. And you know, the good news is LinkedIn is a pretty heavily used you know, app and website. The even better news is that you know Microsoft is obviously a product that a lot of people use every day, and so we're trying to figure out where's it make the most sense to integrate and partner with them and make sure that we can help you know their massive user base to be more productive. Well, and what you're talking about on that, and I think this is something that that maybe must be part of the strategy too, is go, going back to your point about Microsoft. People are on LinkedIn; they're in Microsoft platforms. One of the big challenges that you often hear thrown around in the L&D space is learning in the flow of work or yeah. workflow learning, things like that. And I think sometimes there's some misunderstanding around what that really means, but that's that's kind of what we're talking about now is it's less about let's create the place where we want people to go to learn and instead say, where are people, where, what are they doing and how do we reach them with what they need in that, in the, in where they are? Well, especially when it comes to discovery where I think you know, I'm sure you're the same with your teams where, you know, I, I learn half of what I quote should be learning and then actually end up learning through Slack channels or MS Teams channel, Microsoft Teams channels, where someone's like, hey, just took this course, just read this article. This is great. And so I think you know, we, we've been recommending books and films and X to each other for a long time. Learning's the same way. And so I think the more that we can integrate LinkedIn learning you know, into yeah, what we'll call workflow tools. I guess, yeah, I mean, I think Josh Borson, I, I believe, coined the term. And I think, you know, I, I think it's a good term. And I think we, right. we are, as LinkedIn, investing in the flow of work, not only for learning, but also just you know, for everything we do, given our professional context. Okay. 
So on the content, because like, I think we can talk, we, we talked about the fact there's there's the content, and I definitely think we can address that piece of it, but there's also a much bigger picture that I think everyone in our space and industry can be thinking about. But let's let's tackle some of the questions that I'm seeing come in on the content piece, because I've also been curious about this. You know, Alexander asked, he's like, are we going to see a Christopher Lynn course coming out of LinkedIn Learning? I'm like, I don't know. And so it leads to the next question is, how does LinkedIn Learning even, like, how do you choose who your instructors are? Or how do you choose what content is there? Because there is the risk. And I've seen conversations about this sometimes where it's like when you have large content libraries or large content sources, being able to ensure the content that you have is not only high quality, but accurate, right, is, is accurate and relevant. How do you go through or how do you assess that to make sure you are keeping it, you know, first class content? Sure. I mean, and this is probably one of the biggest differences between like kind of what I'll call like lynda.com and LinkedIn learning is that yeah. LinkedIn has access to all sorts of data, which types of people are learning, which types of skills, who's searching, what kind of jobs, how is migration to talent work flowing? And so essentially, you know, what does the world need? Like, what does the world need to know in terms of what skills are trending, et cetera? And so we start with, with, you know, analyzing all our data and trying to figure out what skills do people need. And then we figure out, okay, great, for each of these skills, who do we think are the world's foremost experts? And then we reach out and we say, hi, you know, we'd love for you to do a course on AI, insert the next skill we think is really important. And hopefully they say yes. And then we have a large content production team and content strategy team who work with that instructor in, you know, instructional design, what the content should look like, how the flow will be, you know, green screens. We have a whole studio down in Carpinteria, very near Santa Barbara, and we produce them. And so I think what's nice is because we have that LinkedIn data and then we release the course and we see what happens. And if, you know, we thought the course would get a bazillion views and it didn't get a bazillion views, we figure out, oh, okay, you know, was it the right topic? Was it the right instructor? Like, was it the modality? Was it, you know, was he or she too, too stiff or whatever it might be? But overall, I think we have that, that feedback loop between, you know, the world of work and what the world of work needs to learn yeah. to who the instructor is or uh, he or she, and then how it's going. And then kind of, you know, some of it, you know, I, I wish I could tell you it's all sort of automated and like people are involved. <laughs> it's like, all magic. Automatically, like it all gets done. Like, no, there's like, Dozens of like, there's hundreds of people, again, most of whom are in uh, Carpinteria near Santa Barbara or in Graz, Austria, okay. who work, you know, really hard every day to make sure that we have the right instructors and the right experience for our for our, uh, for our content. Okay, well, and but the thing that's interesting about that because I want to get to the data piece next because you brought it up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into that. Uh, one of the things that I think one of the challenges that can can be in place that does have this whole automation versus the human in the loop side of it that gets to this is that sometimes with content, and I'm curious how, how you handle this, I have a perspective on it, but when it comes to the content piece, people liking it and it actually being relevant or, or helping them get better at something are two, they're two different things. They can be, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be, but it is this balancing act. Now, my take on it is that's where I see the role of learning professionals and and talent professionals being in there to help people, you know, find the stuff that's going to help them get better at their job, help curate, make sure the stuff is relevant to what you're trying to do versus just assuming that because we unlock the door for James to go out and search for stuff, 
James is fully equipped to find the right stuff that's going to help him get better at his job. And to me, that's where I see our role playing you know, a key place in actually making sure that people are leveraging and going to the right things, not just the things that, that catch their attention or entertain them. But I'm curious, how do you manage that? Yeah, I think we're very aligned. I think I think people think a lot about content creation, super important, no, no doubts. I think content curation is as important. And so, you know, whether that's LinkedIn itself creating, you know, learning paths, say how to be a developer, how to do this, or more importantly, you know, people like yourself and people at like companies saying like, you know, you, you know what it takes, you know, obviously for your GE to what is it, you know, what what is a good, what does a manager to at GE need to do to be successful in making up, but you get the idea. And so, you know, that that is a much more specialized set of content. And so, you know, obviously LinkedIn learning kind of plays some of that. And then also, you know, I'm sure that in your case, GE specific content. And so we we see L&D departments and increasingly everyone in the company, I think, you know, again, I, I work on the product team. Yeah. I know more about what it takes to be good at product, at least, at least in theory I do, I have a job still. So. <laughs> Okay. Good job title says so. Uh, than someone in L&D does about product management. And so I think what we're seeing now is kind of how does L&D, A, of course, create incredible onboarding programs and incredible kind of what we'll call pan employee content. But then once you get into specifics, like in, again, in my case for product, you know, my, my boss uh, created like what's called Product University. And so he's essentially you know, gotten all of our product managers across LinkedIn to figure out different topics around, you know, I won't go into details what they are, but like, you know, the expertise lies within the function or within the business unit. And so I think we're going to see more and more LinkedIn and companies like us empowering experts across an org to curate content and then share that content across their org. And then people start learning. And then, you know, I see that someone took this and, and et cetera. So I think, I think I, I, and I think we as LinkedIn are big believers in curation. Okay. That makes sense. And and I would agree with you on, you know, a lot of those points. And with that, going back to this point we talked about before a little bit is this is where I've seen content. And I know LinkedIn learning is more than a content library, but it, content is a big chunk of it. This is where I've seen those go south for organizations is when they buy a content library and assume the sheer act of having a content library will drive organizational effectiveness or, you know, we'll drive a learning culture and things like that. And it's like, well, that kind of stuff is an active, that's active. That's something that an organization has to do. It's, it's not a, you buy something, plug it in and magically it happens in your organization. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that this audience is probably kind of similar age to you and I see so yeah, like, you know, for the field of dreams reference, you know, people out there, like, you know, if you build it, it will come whatsoever. Like, and so, you know, our content is great. That said, people start discovering it, and then it's, it's up to them and L&D departments like, you know, to show you what's great. And again, I think we have 16,000 courses, and so occasionally people are like, where do I even start? And that's where it's so helpful to see that, you know, oh, your coworker just took this, or here's a learning path about exactly this topic. You're like, oh, cool. And then, and then you start there, and as you get involved, and again, I think, you know, I'd like to believe, and I do believe that because we curate the content and you know, hand select all the instructors, the, the average quality is very, very high. That said, there's still, you know, some courses are quote better than others. And that's where I think it's really helpful to know that people you know well or people you, you respect have taken that course and completed that course and maybe liked that course. And, and that's why I think the social element is so important because it's not just taking it, it's like 
it's interacting around it. And so, you know, in, in my weekly staff meeting, the first thing we do is to say, what did you learn last week? And then we sort of talk through it a little bit. And so it's not just, the, you know, my lying back and consuming it, that's Netflix. Learning needs to be, I, I consume it and then I apply it and I discuss it and I kind of iterate on it. And that's where I think LinkedIn learning through things like Q&A, through things like our group's product, not only can I quote consume it, but now I can engage around it and then engage with people like me or people I want to aspire to be around that content. Yeah. Well, and and Eric, you know, who's, who's watching brought this up and I, I completely agree with you in the sense that learning is an active, right? It's active. And, and what we talk about this whole Netflix concept, that's passive. You're sitting back, you're passively consuming content. That's not where the learning's really happening. The learning's happening when you do something with it. And the assumption that people inherently know what to do or how to do it is is false. And that's where this it is. It, it just goes back to everything we're talking about, where the standpoint of you don't just buy LinkedIn Learning, plug it in, and expect things to take off. There's a lot of work that goes behind that. So on that, though, because getting to this point, and this is one of the things that I think is fascinating about uh, what, what you've built with this, is the data piece. To me, that is that is massive because it's one thing to say, hey, you know, this is this is great or this is good or we have something great. It's another thing to actually come to the table with data and say, this is this is where we are. And because you are what the world's largest professional social media network, I have to imagine you have loads of data that helps you, one, as you talked about, you know, build content that's relevant, find people who know what that content is, and probably also kind of weed out the stuff that that isn't really relevant or, or not. Talk, talk a little bit about how you use that data to actually help organizations change or people change. So, yeah, to your point, we obviously have, you know, every click on LinkedIn just tells us something. And so it could be that, you know, these jobs are being hired for, or it could be these skills are trending. And then what we can do is for a company, to your point is, we can say, hey, Acme, you have X thousand employees and here's their current distribution of skills. And then you know, using LinkedIn profile data. And then we can say, and that, by the way, and that compares to your competitors as such. And so it could be that your competitors are starting to invest and again, developing skills can be done in two ways. I was like, yeah, I can quote, acquire it, I can hire it, or I can, I guess, I can, I can, I can or I can develop it in, internally through skills programs. And so we can show, now, your competitors are investing in these skills and you're getting behind. Maybe you should respond to that. And then we can start showing now, and this is where actually what's coming out next month very soon is actually later this month. Um, we can start showing companies not only you know, how these skills are changing, but how LinkedIn learning specifically is helping to change that. So, you know, I, I can show Acme that they have you know, let's, a, a thousand people with cloud computing skills to pick, pick an example. Great. Now we can show you of those every every month, how many of your employees are learning about cloud computing. And if the answer is like 20, that number is not going to change very fast. If that number is 400, that number is going to change pretty fast. And so we can connect. I mean, we basically have 35,000 plus skills kind of in our uh, taxonomy. And that now applies to jobs being put up on LinkedIn. It applies to our courses, applies to you know, all this learning taking place. And so I think where we're excited to show companies is not only, of course, you know, what does your company's composition skills look like and how is it changing, but now increasingly, how does LinkedIn learning help you to do that? And so then you can create programs and say, great, our goal is to have 5,000 people at Acme who are experts or at least have your know, knowledge in cloud computing. And it's super, super easy to show. Well, this month you added 100. It's going to take a while. 
This month you added a thousand, it's going to take you know, not too long. And so I think kind of that, you know, we set, I set goal. I can then track goal. You know, I, I'm a big believer in the, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it philosophy. And so I think we're increasingly investing in showing you, you know, skills invested in and developing skills and over time outcomes as well. Like what would be great? And this is, this is further out. So that, you know, this is not like a promise of anything that's happening anytime soon, but you know, which of those employees got promoted faster, which of those employees moved into a different role internally. And that's where I think having LinkedIn profile data and some of the active directory data that Microsoft offers yeah. enables you to do things around great. Someone learned what happened. And so, you know, and I'm sure you and all your peers, it's all about, you know, how do we tie learning to outcomes? I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure, you know, but before you and I were discussed in like, you know, uh, uh, back to, you know, caveman and cavewoman times, but like that's, that's, that's real. And I think data just makes the whole thing easier. I think LinkedIn having our, having our consumer ecosystem and our profiles and Microsoft having kind of org structure directories makes the whole thing easier. It's, it's very hard to be clear. And this is one where, you know, when I joined the learning, the, the learning space, I guess almost five years ago, I remember having these conversations and I suspect if you and I are on a call in five years time, we'll be having the same conversation, hopefully having made some progress, but I think it's one of those kind of, it's the holy grail that everyone's trying to get well, to. Well, so this is, and, and where you're going with this is I actually want to kind of hit on this because to me, what you're talking about was some of the things that I saw in the capability. And there's there's a bunch of um, you know questions that, that have come in that I want to make sure I get to. But one of the things that, that was the part that fascinated me about the potential behind it, right? Was this ability to see cross company, cross industry, cross skills and be able to be more proactive and strategic about the way we're making decisions and things and being able to do this. That said, I what I've found is a lot of people, well, there's two things. One, a lot of people can be a bit intimidated by that and a little nervous, right, about this data and what does that mean? Uh, there's, there's obviously privacy ethics behind all that, you know, the trust that goes into it to make sure people feel comfortable knowing that that's happening. And then two, you have this other, I think it's a, it's a little bit of a legacy mindset in some organizations where they may be holding on to this whole, I don't, I don't want to look outside our walls. And maybe it's not even an intentional, I don't want to look outside our walls, but we're so focused on what's happening in our organizational walls. We're not thinking bigger. We're not stepping up and kind of looking across the horizon. So I have to imagine in some conversation, some people, it might just they get it and go totally makes sense. We're moving forward. But how do you, how do you deal with, or, you know, do you run into that where organizations or individuals even kind of push back and go that, that makes me uncomfortable. And how do you help them see, see that bigger picture? Yeah, I think LinkedIn takes trust very seriously. I think we've been kind of voted or, you know, like the, the most trusted social network for, you know, et cetera. And so I think we actually just, we're in the process of reorganizing our product team to have a trust leader lead across you know, and report to our head of product. And so it, it's very, very important. And so um, I think it comes down to giving giving people the choice of what they want to make available. And so you know, if you go to LinkedIn, there's an almost comical number of like settings permutations that you can go through to kind of decide, you know, do I want this email, this privacy setting, et cetera. I mean, like, 
if I did a demo right now, we could spend, spend like 50 minutes like clicking through the X hundred different settings. So we take it very seriously. And I think, um, yeah, it's a really tough one because I think overall, I, I, I'm a, you know, obviously I, I live in Silicon Valley. I work for LinkedIn. I'm a believer in kind of information transparency and kind right. of more information people share about themselves, the more they can, others can know what they're doing and how they want to help. It's really hard. I actually, I don't have a great answer for you because it's something where we build towards the kind of aspirational user and how we think it quote should be. While of course balancing the way it is and the way that you know, to your point, not everyone is as comfortable with that. And so yeah. we are building out a bunch of different, what we call them feature toggles where companies themselves who buy this product on behalf of their employees can choose what they would like to have on and off. And so yep. some companies really want their employees to be engaging with you know our, our question and answer, our Q and A product. Some people don't. And by the way, some people would like it, but they work in industries like healthcare or financial services where there's regulations that actually suggest you're not allowed to talk about stuff in a public platform like this because it could be influencing you know, financial decisions, et cetera. And so uh, it's hard. It's but it's uh, it, it's yeah, it, 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 it's a hard one. I think we're investing in it all the time. So. Well, and and that's I have to imagine right. It's this balancing act. And what I part of the reason I was curious to hear your side of it is because this is something I can say on the L and D side. We face we we face the same things in in HR and talent where there is this skepticism sometimes of like, well, what, what really are you doing? Do you have my best interest in mind? And the, the things you hit on are, are great lessons for, you know, other tech providers to think about. But I think there's lessons that we on the practitioner side can take from in terms of, we need to build that trust. We need our employees. We need the people around us to know that the decisions we're making and the data that we're using is used for good and for their benefit and not, not, you know, punitive or to, you know, snoop or things like that. And I think it's really important that those ethical and, you know, compliance type things are really integrated into part of your talent strategy, which is new territory for a lot of people moving into this because it's intimidating. They, they haven't worked in the digital space. They maybe haven't been working with user data, data management, things like that. And it's something that I feel there's tremendous opportunity for people in our space to upskill and because we need to we, we need to be prepared for that we can't count on linkedin or or these other players to do that all for us 100 why i also think of uh things like you know gdpr and privacy regulations and all that kind of stuff just makes the whole thing more difficult and so um yeah i think i think it's i think it's a hard time i think it's an exciting time to be lmd in terms of like you're having to navigate all these different changes but i think in general there's never been a better time to be an lmd given the importance everyone's seeing and learning and kind of the, even like the mo most recently while we're going through this, you know, horrible situation, the sort of move to digital and the move to, you know, I think we, we keep hearing from our customers that, you know, suddenly the head of L&D who before was, you know, important, but maybe would mainly work with you know, people in HR and the talent org is now all of a sudden kind of working with the CEO because he or she is saying, okay, we're all working home right now. We need to get better X. And so I think, you know, we're seeing more and more experiences where, L&D leaders are, quote, sitting at the table with business leaders, if not the CEO, him or herself right now. And so I think what I'm interested to see is if this is a you know moment in time and it goes, quote, back to normal, or if this is where learning and, you know, L&D professionals have kind of this step function change in some companies. Again, in many companies are already there, but in some companies, they're now going to have that much larger influence. And I you know 
my hope and I think my belief is it w- it won't go back to quote normal. So I think with that, I, I agree that it, I actually hope it doesn't. You know, I've heard people say, well, when's it going to bounce back? I hope it doesn't bounce back. I mentioned this before we went live. I hope we bounce forward and learn lessons from this and say, you know, here. And I think there's a there's a bit of a moonshot for those of us in in learning and talent right now to say our organizations just got hit with the wrecking ball of COVID-19 and employees and organizations as a whole were suddenly faced with a lot of the realities that maybe they've been putting to the side or saying, we'll deal with that later. It's something we'll figure out. And now that's being rocketed to the top. I think the challenge that we're faced with, and I think we can either, we can either get this moonshot right, or we're going to miss it and go flying into the sun is if we don't take it seriously and we don't do put our best foot forward because we run the risk of not doing it well. And our organization's going, well, we really lean to you. We look to you, we look for your help you weren't there for us. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to go back to what we were doing before. Exactly. So with, with the skill library, I'm curious on this one. It was a question from Jesse uh, about how LinkedIn, you talked about kind of the data behind it, but how do you build this skill? How do you, how do you manage that? How do you know what skills and how do you define skills? Because that's another thing I think in our industry that sometimes can be challenging to break down. There's skills Sometimes skills are like these big job description words that either mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people or they're they're platitudes. It's just a phrase that doesn't really mean anything. How do you how do you break that down? How do you define those skills to make them meaningful and relevant to to what's going on in the market? Yeah, so I think a little bit of art and science. So I think given we have, you know, 600 and blah million um, professional profiles we can see, you know, what skills people are adding. And so that's obviously helpful. And then we have on the more the art side, like trying to figure out how they all ladder up. And so uh, using data, you can see that, you know, if I know like Hadoop, which is a kind of a big data processing uh, technology that I probably know analytics as well. And if I know analytics, et cetera. And so I think we, you know, the 35,000 plus skills ladder into, I've forgotten the exact terminology we use, but, you know, different categories where, you know, you've like, 40 or 50 kind of well called like mac- macro skills that go into like several hundred, you know, medium macro skills and then ultimately go down to 35,000. And so, but I think the nice thing about LinkedIn is we're, we're constantly seeing what skill is being added. And so, you know, to uh, Jesse's point, there are new skills popping up all the time. And the nice things we know that because on LinkedIn profiles, they're showing up. You're and starting to see them. <laughs> People are putting them on, putting them on their stuff. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So, so with that, I, I'm a cu- question that's come up a couple times that I'm curious how LinkedIn manages this from a strategy standpoint. Cause you have LinkedIn, the, well, I know LinkedIn's in a lot of different things in, in the space, but what probably the general user recognizes is their social professional profile, kind of their online CV, if you will. Yep. And then we're talking about LinkedIn learning how do you balance that or how strategically does LinkedIn balance that? Because I know bringing, bringing LinkedIn learning in, sometimes there's this, well, that's mine. That's like my personal LinkedIn profile. Now this LinkedIn learning is kind of a corporate or, or development type initiative. And, and to some degree that could create a, well, I used to go to LinkedIn because I liked it or I used it for social things like that. Now I feel more like it's a thing that I'm being pushed to do or I'm forced to do. I don't know if that necessarily falls on you, 
or if that falls on us. But I'm curious if you have a perspective on how you balance that. Yeah, no, I think it's been tough. I, I think we, we hear from a lot of people that LinkedIn is for me and that's where I want. And I think there's, it, go, it goes back to trust. And so I think, you know, LinkedIn and having invested in trust so long is important is that people are concerned that if they start using LinkedIn learning and they connect with it, if they connect LinkedIn, their LinkedIn learning, they're assuming their LinkedIn profile, LinkedIn learning, which helps them get you know, better recommendations and more social relevance, et cetera, that all of a sudden their boss or their L&D department could suddenly see what jobs they're looking at on LinkedIn or what messages they're sending, et cetera. And like, you know, obviously to me, but not obviously everyone, like we of course separate these two completely where my activity over here is, you know, helpful in terms of like relevance algorithms, et cetera, for my learning, but is in no way ever shared. That's where I think just us thinking about trust and for most for enterprise learners, we give the enterprise learner a choice between do you want to use a LinkedIn profile, which again, it has a bunch of benefits. I'm happy to dig into those. Or do you not want to use LinkedIn profile? And if you don't use LinkedIn profile, your whole LinkedIn universe over here is completely distinct. And we are a content library. And we give that people a choice and the, the majority choose to use LinkedIn because they, I think, A, see the value of bringing across their kind of professional network and the professional graph to LinkedIn learning. And B, I hope and I think they trust us that we are not going to be suddenly taking all this information and showing it to their boss or their other other company, but it's a really important one. I think we've, uh, we, you know, we need to keep investing in getting in, you know, making sure trust is like, again, like that is now an operating priority for our company. It's a org, you know, it's a VP level title in our product org, et cetera. And so, you know, I think that's one where we take that, very seriously and i think uh okay. we all, i think the nice thing we always have and i think through some of the social media challenges that we've seen over the last you know three four five years i think linkedin has to date i i believe handled it very well and, and i believe we'll continue to handle it very well. well and it gets back to what we talked a little bit about before which is sometimes there's a perception in in our space that it's all on the platform or the vendor to figure this stuff out. And I personally, to, to people watching who, I would say we need to look in the mirror on a lot of these things. So when it comes to this, I understand what you're saying, which is how do you help, how do you help empower people to say, listen, you know, we're not just giving your LinkedIn information over to your company because you connect the two. One, you have to build that trust and LinkedIn has to build that trust in their brand. So I can see there's that there's that component. And you talked about some of the security stuff. And ultimately, if somebody says, I don't trust it, they have the option to say, I don't want them. I want church and state. I don't want to mix the two. So keep them separate so that people can still feel like, okay, they're two separate things. That said, I think a lot of responsibility falls on us on the inside to be able to say, what are the stories? We need to be doing a really good job telling the stories of what are we doing? What is the greater value behind this? You know, again, going, if we buy this stuff, plug it in and don't tell anybody really what we're doing with it. When people don't know, they fill in the gaps with whatever comes to mind. And if they've had a trusting experience, they're probably more likely to say, yeah, I trust it and fine. If they don't, they're probably going to assume the worst. So I think that's one of the, I, I hear where you're coming from, which is these are the things we're doing. But I would almost push back to some of the folks in our industry to say, don't, don't, don't leave that up to LinkedIn Learning or you know, Degreed or Cast yeah. or whoever you're partnering with. Don't leave it to them to be like, well, you need to figure this all out for us. We need to take 
ownership of that and say, how are we ensuring that within our organizations, we've built the trust, we've laid out the strategy, we're telling the stories, and we're actually putting our money where our mouth is, that if we're saying this is what we're doing, we're not secretly behind the closed doors doing something completely different. Because eventually that'll come out. And when it does, you will destroy all things. It was a comment you know Peter made, uh, Peter Fitzpatrick made before, which is COVID-19 didn't necessarily confirm or deny trust, but it exposed where organizations were and the organizations that had built trust had it. And the ones that it was nothing but a smoke and mirrors act, it, it rocketed to the surface real quickly. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think also we mentioned this earlier, we, we just see so much of the, you know, like LinkedIn learning, of course, is, you know, is, is a great learning product. But if you think about LinkedIn learning kind of on a broader, the broader phrase, yeah. I want to go to LinkedIn to a LinkedIn profile and I want to see some other great, I, I want to be her. Let's say she's an SVP of products. I, I want to see what role she took. I want to see what learning she did. And then LinkedIn overall can now connect you to a great, like maybe this is the next job you should take. Here's a course you should take. So I think like overall, you know, if LinkedIn, you know, I think LinkedIn learning, by the way, will always be called LinkedIn learning, but I think, you know, I think over time you'll see more of like a kind of LinkedIn career development or LinkedIn succeed or something, you know, something like that where you can start connecting together learning content and jobs you should take and people you should know and projects you should work on, et cetera. And so I think kind of the, I think today, People think of learning, I think, too much as it's something very formal I do, it's something I go do for two hours every month in a workshop. You know, every article I read, I consider learning. Every conversation I have in a group, I consider learning. So I think what we need to do as LinkedIn is kind of piece together that broader story of like all these different things, the people I know, the jobs I take, the roles, et cetera, and of course the content I take. That's all learning. And the more we can share that with um, individuals themselves, to give them better guidance and potentially to share with customers as well, the better. Yeah. So. And the title, the title one I made for this was learning and and or content and learning strategy integrated. I think to some degree it's more of a learning content and talent strategy integrated, which is what we're talking about here, which is we, we have to think beyond just content. Okay, they they did content, maybe they learned some new things, but how do those skills then tie to different jobs and and potential career mobility and talent mobility the way you recruit people the way you find who the right talent is the way you develop people in a way that's meaningful to them i mean that is a whole talent management you know strategy much bigger than just learning and development or or you know learning I, content 100 i, mean, I think yeah, back to a little bit we talked about earlier no let's say i'm a company and i decide whether it's through competitive pressure or through I see an opportunity, I need to you know have a bunch more people have a skill. There's two ways I can do that. One, I can go hire a bunch of people who have that skill already, and then two, I can develop internally through you know could be products like ourselves or could be internal um, training efforts. And so I think we see that that decision we're trying to make is like what kind of employees do we need to have to be successful? Great. Then what? How do I get those employees? And to your point, that could be a TA, a talent acquisition question, or it could be a learning question. And of course, the answer is both. So I think the more that LMD sees themselves as part of this like overall, you know, the goal of the company isn't to learn, the goal of the company is to succeed, where learning is a critical component of that. And so I think the more that you can kind of like take that slightly broader picture, the more successful we see, you know, LMD professionals being. Okay. And it gets back to you mentioned earlier, reading, reading an article, things like that. I I, I do think 
too often folks are stuck in kind of this is what learning is, right? It's this box. And it's like, well, it's not. I mean, I, I learned what foods I like when I go eat something and realize, well, I learned I did not like that anymore. I mean, that's it's happening on a more organic level than I think a lot of times yeah, we I, give it credit. I like, and I've, I've heard a few folks, I don't know who coined it, like, there's like, there's like capital L learning and like lowercase L learning. And I think some companies we see think of learning as only, oh, I took standards of business conduct training. That's capital L learning. Or I sign up for a two-day uh, instructor-led training session on this. That's, those things are super important, but they are missing so much other stuff that employees right. are doing. And so I think the more that platforms can keep track, both for the individual themselves and also you know, for surfacing up to you know, leaders, all the learning taking place, I think we underestimate. I think you know, over time, I would love on LinkedIn Learning for when you go and say you want to get good at a skill, we show you conferences you should go to. We show you books you could read. And by, again, I, you know, obviously, we, we believe our content is fantastic for a bunch of use cases, but it's an and, it's not an or. There's all these other things you should do. You should reach out to these people, et cetera. And so I think over time, the, the concept of, of learning and like being content, content's super important, but it's incomplete. And so I think the more we can connect you to what you need to develop that skill to progress in your career, the, the more value we're adding and the more successful we'll be. Yeah. Well, the phrase I use in, in yours is very similar, right? Formal learning and content, it's not wrong, it's not bad, it's incomplete. And when we're looking at it as the holistic, the nirvana of, of what we're here to do, we're missing out on so much more that we can offer to our organizations and help help propel us forwards, which gets me to where I want to go next. And I, I told you we're going to run out of time on this one. But um, I am curious on this because you're talking about, right, learning's happening in a lot of other, other things a lot of different ways. Organizations don't typically just have one, uh, one, one platform or one, one content source. How does LinkedIn learning play in that space then? Because the reality is maybe for smaller organizations or medium sized organizations, they may, may only have one for large global organizations. A lot of times there's a whole lot of stuff. And what you're talking about is almost moving into the LXP space where it's like, how do we pull that together? Is that you know, without spoiling it, is that is that something LinkedIn is looking at? Is how do we how do we try and tackle this bigger thing versus? Yeah, just I would think there's, there's only like two prongs. So I think you know, almost every company we believe needs to offer their employees you know broad based professional skills content. That's where we think our library is great. And so you know, like you you, you know, we think people should buy that content because every employee whether they're you know, junior in function X or senior in function Y, will have, will have access to content that's relevant for them. That's great. To your point, they need to train their employees on how to be a great manager at Acme, at G, et cetera. And so increasingly we are trying to take our kind of recommendations and personalization experience that we can do right now, we think very well for LinkedIn learning content that we've created and enable that for other content too. And so that other content could be a company's own content, what we call custom content. You know, they could add links, they can upload files, et cetera. It could be over time to your point, pulling in aggregations from other content sources. So let's say your engineers use Pluralsight. Great. Let's bring in Pluralsight. Let's bring in their taxonomy. And then we can have that same social experience, that same recommendation experience on LinkedIn learning. Let's say you want to pull in some content from your LMS, same thing. And so I think, you know, we have a great foundation, we believe, in our content itself. 
But over time, we think more and more of the value we can add is the social element, the recommendations, the realization to any content that you have. And so to your point, yes, like we are a, we believe the leading content provider. And over time, we aspire to be the leading learning platform as well, including with our content being foundation, then laddering in more and more content. Okay. All right. So there you have it. Uh, so the other one, I'm curious on the skills, because I always ask about this whenever I talk about skills, because it's one thing to say, I have a skill. I think one of the challenges we run into with this is how do you measure that, right? How do you measure that somebody has a skill? So maybe, so maybe you watched a video. I, I watch a Ted talk doesn't mean I can give one. Uh, and I know LinkedIn moved into the endorsement. This is a question coming from Jesse and it's a really good one. And it was one I wanted to kind of dive towards is, okay, then there were the endorsements and you, know, you could kind of get endorsements. And I've even seen those evolve. It used to just be you, you spammed endorsements and you know, you like somebody you're like, Hey, James is great at all 89 things that are on his profile. I've seen now it started to evolve more on like, well, who are you and how are you relevant to give this endorsement, things like that. How is LinkedIn continuing to look at how do we make sure that if somebody says they're skilled in this, there's some degree of validation behind that versus just they're popular or they've, they've watched a lot of things. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I've been LinkedIn. So I, I joined LinkedIn at the beginning of 2010. So I've been there for like a little over 10 years. And like, you know, so I, I, we kind of like I and we reflect on the decade, like I think, <laughs> I endorsements, like one of those things where like, you know, you, you have the, the, the list that kind of went very well and you have a list of things like didn't go so well. I think, you know, endorsements is an example, like chasing big numbers way too fast. Like we, we got kind of like drunk on the, like the, the numbers going crazy. And then to your point, we now have a, you know, endorsements is, is an entertaining one because I say endorsements to anyone. If the first thing they say is like, yeah, my, my, my mother endorsed me for something. Like everyone's example is always like my you know, next door neighbor, my mother. It's like, it's, it's like every single person has the same reaction. And you're like, oh, because in general, there is still so much signal in endorsements. They just happen to be a few that are kind of off. And so, you know, to your, to your point, yeah, a, a endorsements are still important, but we've, we've kind of evolved from a try and get as many as you can and try and give as many as you can to a more of like quality and like people with this skill have given you this endorsement that counts. You know, if, if Jeff Weiner, our CEO gives endorsed me for leadership, that kind of counts. Carries a little more than endorsed you know. me for leadership. Like I love my mother and by the way, she's great, but it probably counts less. But maybe not the best judge of that. Okay. So well, and again, I, I, to me, that's one of the things where it's a challenge. There's not an easy way. And I have to imagine with LinkedIn in the data space that you're in, part of this evolution of endorsements, there has to be some degree of, you know, variables in terms of how it's affecting the algorithms in terms of how much weight the endorsements carry based on who gave it to you, what the relationship was, because before it was just a, do you agree or do you not agree? It was just a yes, no variable, which isn't nearly as detailed as now. There's more detail behind that to be able to say, we can now wait each endorsement you have based on who gave it to you and all those. Yeah, well, the other thing we, you know, we, we also have, you know, we have different types of assessments and our learning products. And we also, you know, connect with different certification boards, you know, project management professionals, financial professionals that are aware if you take these courses, great, you are now prepared to take this certification where we don't administer the certification, but then that certification is added back to LinkedIn. And so I think, um, I think validating and verifying that someone has a skill is something that we are starting to think a lot about, especially part of Microsoft because they have so much data on different um, 
certifications on Microsoft itself. And I think Microsoft's like the number one certified kind of body in the world. Like there's just so many people have have Microsoft certifications. And so I think it's one of those, yeah, you look at the last decade, I mentioned like endorsements, we kind of quote got it wrong. Um, it was I a think, start, right? You learn, you learn from it. I think this decade we will, you know, that, again, that, that connecting kind of, I did some learning. I now have some validation, verification, I've done something and now it leads to something is super exciting. And I think ideally what it will be is, you know, I want to apply to a certain job. Great. Prove you have some skill, you know, enough skill yeah. through the assessment or could be through taking some of the learning path. I think that model of kind of job to qualification is something that you'll see LinkedIn, given we have a very large recruiting business and a learning business. I think that's something that you'll see a lot more of the next, you know, okay. years, less quarters, more years, but like it, it's definitely coming. And I think we're very excited about it. Okay. And I have to say with this one, I think there, because you're not the only platform that's, that's playing in that space, right. With skill, skill validation, skill assessment stuff. And I know sometimes they take a beating over this from, from the practitioner side, which in my opinion, I'm actually fascinated with how, Far it's come. And I think sometimes we overcredit ourselves with, well, you know, why isn't it doing this and this and this? And honestly, I would say we hadn't, it's not like we had this cracked and we had this perfect way of assessing skills and we had all this stuff figured out. And now we're challenging the tech industry to say, well, why haven't you solved for this? Because the reality is we didn't really have an answer to start and where we're seeing this go. I think if anything, technology is unlocking the potential behind it because it sees so much more and can process so much more information than we ever could as, as an L and D professional to be able to say, well, okay, now it's not just about, they took my class, they passed my little test at the end of it, but we have a more holistic picture into their behaviors, their network, what they're doing, things like that. that can give us a, a much more detailed profile of a person's capabilities and skills. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to your point, you know, Given privacy guidelines and trust in general, the more data that you know companies have and the more data that our platform has, the more we can surface the most relevant learning opportunity or role, whatever it might be, to somebody. Yeah. The part that I've found funny, though, sometimes with this, <laughs> I've run into a few instances where this has happened, is the information that people are are faced with sometimes isn't as positive as they, right? It's almost a little bit of a realization where they, we've, we've over-assessed, right? The Dunning-Kruger effect of I've over-assessed how good I am at something. And the data almost highlights you're not quite as good as you maybe thought you were. Uh, and so what are you going to do about it? And I think sometimes the reaction is I want to shut that down versus saying, well, it is what it is. This is what your assessment level is. Now, how are you going to move from here to here? It's not, it's not punitive. Yeah, well, I think it also goes back to Sometimes, you know, overall historically, you know, learning engagement levels haven't been as high as yeah. most companies like them to be. And so I think sometimes you see people like overanalyzing data perfection versus do, you know doing the work. And so I think it's like, oh, to that point, about, you know, build it. If they build it, they will come. Like Kevin Costner style. Like you no, know, like just like drive engaging. You know, if only a tenth of your company are actually engaging learning at all, I promise you, no one is like getting crazy, crazy results. And so I think kind of that whole like it's on you, LD to drive engagement and to drive learning. And over time, we can connect back to more and more outcomes. But yeah, I, I occasionally see someone being like overly academic versus like, no, like half your role now in LD is to market. 
like promote and sell your programs. So you don't sell it, you don't market it. No one will use it. If no one uses it, I don't really care if it's perfectly, you know, calibrated or not, because if no one used it, no one learned, period. So. Yeah. Well, and with the time we're at, we can we can kind of wrap on that. But it goes to I'll, I'll close it out with this, which is, I think this goes back to that whole it's not wrong, it's incomplete, right? For a long time in in learning and development, we've maybe over-indexed on engagement data, right? How many people did it or how many people took it? And now there's this big push for us to say, well, it needs to be more performance based. And I think it's less of a this or that, but more to your point. If nobody's engaging any in anything, you don't have the data to know whether what you did is actually driving to business impact. So don't ignore engagement data. Don't move away from it and say, we don't care about this. All we care about this. Create a more holistic measurement strategy around that. So great conversation, James. Like I said, we probably could just spend the rest of the afternoon talking about these things, but I appreciate you making the time everybody, you know, all the comments, I think we've hit on pretty much everything that's come up, even though we could go much deeper in all of them. So thanks for being here. Thanks for watching everybody, James. Pleasure chatting with you. And I hope you and everybody out there has a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and stay healthy.